We're in this series we're calling Summer Stories because it's summer, and the Bible is filled with? Wow, we're just so creative in our titles around here. Isn't that amazing? Summer Stories, and we started last week the story of Benaiah in 2 Samuel 23. And if you weren't here last week, catch you up a little bit, encourage you to go online and listen through that, because we talked about how Benaiah was a guy who recognized this, his biggest problem and his deepest pain were an arrow pointing to God's larger purposes, right? His biggest problem and his deepest pain, like an arrow pointing to God's larger purposes. Beniah was the guy who jumped into a pit with a lion on a snowy day. And we talked about, we all have got some 500-pound lions. Every single one of us in here is going through some great battle. And so you're staring at a 500-pound lion, and here's the question we left with Beniah. Are you moving toward it? with courage, or are you running from it, shrinking back from it in fear? And so Benaiah, 2 Samuel 23, we want to build on it today. We're going to look at a guy named Hezekiah in Isaiah 36. And here's what we're going to see today, is that when you step towards God's purposes, when you see that arrow and you begin to step out and step up for God and what He wants you to do with your life and serve His greater cause around this world, when you step into God's larger purposes, here's what you'll discover. God often doesn't immediately remove the lion, but He reframes it. You with me? Or to say it another way, often that lion that you step towards, you're like, I'm going to go benign on this lion. I'm going to take this lion out. You take that lion out, and you find a nice herd of ten awaiting you. And you go, what's up with that, Lord? I mean, I went benign. I jumped into the pit, and I'm all in, and I seem to just go from one 500-pound lion to the next 500-pound lion, and it seems overwhelming and insurmountable. Anybody been there? Isaiah 36, a guy named Hezekiah. Now, I've got to get set a little context for you here with Hezekiah. If you haven't already pulled out your notes, bulletin notes, you can get them on the app, or you can just pull out the paper version there. But let me give you a little con. Isaiah chapter 36, the prophet ministry of Isaiah. You need to understand that in the Bible, you need to write, write uh, in the margin of your Bible over this chapter, write 2 Kings 17 to 20. 2 Kings 17 to 20. Write that at the top of Isaiah 36 in your Bibles. Why? Because the context for the prophet's ministry is outlined in the books in the Old Testament, 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles. And here's how this works. So some of you read through the Old Testament. It's like super overwhelming. Like there's a whole lot going on. There's a lot of names, a lot of people, a lot of stuff going on. And you just flip to the New Testament. Like the bright white pages in your Bible are like Old Testament stuff. You know what I'm saying in this? And this is why sometimes it's super confusing is that you jump into Isaiah and you're like, how do we understand who these people are and what's going on? Kings and Chronicles. So 2 Kings 17 to 20 give context to what's going on here, and what's happening is God has raised up a prophet named Isaiah. By the way, Isaiah was called the prince of the prophets. They say of Isaiah, his 66 chapters represent kind of a, a commentary. There's 66 books of the Bible, 66 chapters in Isaiah's prophecy. It elevated kind of his, his leadership over the prophetic ministry. He was that significant of a figure in the Old Testament storyline. And so Isaiah is on the scene, and God has selected Isaiah to speak his word, keep his character before the nation. Now, the king was supposed to do that. So the kings were supposed to represent God, lead him, lead the people in line with God's character, do God's work, God's way, and God's will. That's what the kings were supposed to do. But 
Right now, Isaiah's stepping into the middle of an 0 for 19 run in the northern kingdom of Israel. So lest we think perhaps in our own nation you might be struggling with how things are going and leading and ruling in righteousness and honoring God, and where's that sense of a spiritual center? Well, we might have our struggle points in that for sure, but listen, we're not where Isaiah and the nation of Israel was at this point. 0 for 19, 200 plus years where the kings are not interested in listening to God, obeying God, or centering the nation upon God. So you know what God decides to do? So fine, you kings aren't interested in that. I'm going to create an office called the prophet. I'm going to call the prophet. I'm going to speak to the prophet, and I'm going to send the prophet to the king. Now, how about that job? That's why I get a little nervous when somebody introduces themselves to me and says, hey, I'm prophet so-and-so. I'm like, eh, you know. That's not a title anyone really like adopted themselves. That was like something placed on you, and most of them ran from it. So when there's a big billboard on the side of the interstate that says, prophet so-and-so's coming to town, uh, I don't think that's how I was working. Because these guys' lives were extremely difficult. Most of them were killed because of the words they were sharing with the king, and the king had all of the army and all of the weapons and all of the power at their disposal. So if they didn't want to listen to the prophet anymore, guess what they did to him? Just killed him or exiled him, or made his life really miserable. That's the kind of role we're talking about here. So Isaiah is raised up as a prophet in the land, and he's calling out to the people to turn their hearts. To say, he's saying to them what Jonah was saying over and over, what God was saying to Jonah. Hey, you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. Hey, Israelites, you can run from Him, you can't outrun Him. So turn your hearts. God is pursuing you. God is coming for you. God is not giving up on you. This is a message of Isaiah. And the people continue to wander and they continue to rebel. So God said, Isaiah, tell the people this. There is a nation growing called Assyria. Here's the map of the Assyrian Empire. In your margin of your Bibles, you can write 722 B.C. So the Assyrian Empire, it started over there, modern-day Iran, all the way north and east through, or north and west through Iraq, all the way over to Syria, down south through Israel, Jordan, all the way down to Egypt. So that yellow, tannish section, that's the Assyrian Empire. So God says, I'm going to use the Assyrians to try to make a statement and turn my people's hearts. So the Assyrians are growing, and their power is expanding, and their leadership is aggressive. Wherever the Assyrians went, they got done what the Assyrians wanted to get done, which was power and domination and control. You did not want to hear that the Assyrians were coming to your town. It was not a good commentary. And so this is that group. So God says, here, the Assyrians are coming. They've already taken over the northern kingdom of Israel. Now they're coming to the southern kingdom of Israel called Judah. And there's this little remnant of God's people left behind that are seeking to honor him. And there's a leader named Hezekiah that's trying to hold the fort in the middle of all this mess. So Hezekiah is getting word that Sennacherib, Sennacherib, don't try to say that super fast. Somebody's going to think you're swearing at them right now. So Sennacherib is coming to town. He's the leader. He's the king of Assyria. And he's put his sights on Hezekiah and the southern kingdom of Judah. And that's where we pick up the story. Isaiah 36, verse 4. So Sennacherib sends his field commander, says this, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. You can see that Sennacherib struggles with 
you know, pride or humility or you're right. He's really struggling with self-confidence here. The great king of Assyria. So he says, on what are you basing this confidence of yours? You say you have strategy and military strength, but you speak only empty words. On whom are you depending that you rebel against me? Look now, you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff which pierces a man's hand and wounds him if he leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. Now, why is he calling out Egypt there? Well, guess who he just took over? He just took Pharaoh out and he just took Egypt out. So he's like, hey, you want to go like Egypt went? Hezekiah, do you want to do what happened to Pharaoh? That's what's going to happen to you. So he's calling him out. Verse 7, and if you say to me, listen to this, we are depending on the Lord our God. Notice capital L, capital G. Isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar? Verse 8, come now, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. Now, here's some confusion. So, Sennacherib thinks that Hezekiah's moved to tear down the high places. So, what happened is the Israelites, they got involved in idol worship. They started adopting some of the pagan practices of the peoples around them, where they started building these, like, these altars and these little mini temples, often on hills and mountaintops. That's where they're called the high places. And God instructed Hezekiah and other leaders to tear those things down. People are bowing down and losing sight of Yahweh through that. So, Hezekiah's making a statement of moving the, the nation toward God, Sennacherib looks at it and says, because in Sennacherib's mind, it's this, the more high places you have, the more temples you have, the more idols you have built up, the stronger your God. So he's like, hey, you ju- your God, he, all his high places just got torn down. There's not even anything left for him. So why in the world would you place your confidence in him? Do you see he's completely confused in this? So Hezekiah's like, hey, I'm doing this to honor God. And Sennacherib's like, your God's just shrinking in power and authority. So he's like, hey, why are you putting your trust in that? Come, make a deal with me. Now, can you feel the pressure here building up for Hezekiah? So Sennacherib's running his mouth. The army is marching in. The reputation is wherever they went, they just wiped out everybody. And now he's given them opportunity. Make a deal. Save the people. Let's see what happens here. We jump down to verse 13. So what happens is the commander, so, so uh, Hezekiah gets nervous and the leaders get nervous and said, hey, can you translate that message, make it in Aramaic so we can handle like, we'll translate it into Hebrew so that people don't freak out because what's happened is going to be a massive fear through the whole community. So could you just not like stand on the hilltops and shout this thing out in Hebrew so we can help lead the people? And look what happens here. Verse 13, the commander stood and called out in Hebrew. Oh, see how that went? They're like, hey, could you do this? Nope, we're going to call out. So they're shouting out, trying to send a wave of fear through the whole nation. Here are the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Underline all the do nots in this message. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord. When he says, the Lord will surely deliver us, the city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. So you see this like 500-pound lion named Assyria is roaring through Sennacherib's mouth, and it's just roaring with intimidation, and it's stirring up a fear within the people, saying, hey, you need to run away from this roar. You cannot face this giant right here. That's what's happening. So he says, verse 16, do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says, make peace with me 
and come out to me. Then every one of you will eat from his own vine and fig tree and drink water from his own cistern. Now, isn't that ironic? There's nothing, there's nothing the people own in Sennacherib's kingdom. But you notice what he's trying to sell them there? Oh, you can take care. You can have your own vineyard. You can have your own wine. You can have your own land. Listen, you sign the deal with him, you're all Sennacherib's. But he's, he's pitching them a bunch of lies there until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Verse 18, do not let Hezekiah mislead you. Did you see all those do not? So back up to verse 14, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. Verse 15, do not let Hezekiah persuade you. Verse 16, do not listen to Hezekiah. Verse 18, do not let Hezekiah mislead you. How would you like Hezekiah's job? This is not an easy situation he's working with here. And so all the people are running in fear. When he says, the Lord will deliver us, has the God of any nation ever delivered his, his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? He's like, hey, I'm like 16 and 0 this season. Nobody's taken me out. Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? So see, he just goes on and on and he just outlines, says, all these nations, all these gods, all these kings, all these kingdoms, I've wiped them all out. So why would you not join this big surrender movement? This is a 500-pound lion. That's a herd of 500-pound lions right here. And Hezekiah, here's Hezekiah. He's just trying to do God's work. He's just in the center of God's will. It was God who called Hezekiah. It was God who appointed Hezekiah. It was God who positioned him in the leadership role he's in. It's God who stationed them where they're at in Jerusalem. Hezekiah's probably going to his prayer room saying, God, I'm doing your work your way for your will and your glory, and there is an onslaught of 500-pound lions breathing down my neck. And Sennacherib's, so the size of Sennacherib just keeps growing. So the 500-pound lion just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You see, Sennacherib lacks no self-confidence in this whole equation. Because what happened in his world is the more success he had, you notice this happens, right? It takes a tremendous amount of interior character in here. It takes a lot in here to handle any kind of high positions of leadership where success is the theme. If you're in a, in a string of success and accomplishment and achievement, you better have a strong interior world to uphold the weight of the responsibility there. Otherwise, this whole thing's going to get derailed. And Sennacherib, he takes all that success all that accomplishment, all that achievement, and it's just fueling his pride. It's fueling his intimidation. It's fueling his manipulation and control, his ego. Everything's being driven up. This is Sennacherib. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I came across Henry Nouwen's quote. I put it in your notes here. I love what Nouwen said about this. Deciding what I most need out of life, carefully calculating my next move, and generally allowing my autonomous self to run amok inflates my sense of self-importance and reduces the God of my incredible journey to the role of a spectator on the sidelines. One of the most arduous spiritual tasks is that of giving up control and allowing the Spirit of God to lead our lives. That's a 500-pound lion that Hezekiah and this small little remnant in Jerusalem named the southern kingdom of Judah, they're staring at. And from this 
leader and from this Assyrian empire, they're trying to stir up a base of fear and they're trying to call the nation to make a decision from a base of fear. You know, it's a terrible place to make any big decisions in our lives from. We never should move out from a base of fear and make some decision. And this is it, right? He's trying to stir up fear and get them pressed into what he wants them to do in that. And now I want you to notice here, and here's what we're going to harvest out of the story. We're going to pay attention to how Hezekiah chose to respond to this pride, this herd of 500-pound lions he was staring at. Notice what he does here. Chapter 37, verse 1 and following. Watch what he does here. When King Hezekiah heard this, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and went into the temple of the Lord. Now, you can circle sackcloth there in your Bibles. That's simply, it was as a wardrobe of mourning. So when they were in desperation, they had their outer clothing represent this posture of desperation, like, God, we need you to come through in ways, or we're toast. Sackcloth is what you put on. And so Hezekiah like, puts on sackcloth, and he goes to the temple. And then look what he does, verse 2. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and the leading priests, all wearing sackcloth. Notice everybody's wearing sackcloth. To, notice who they go call out to. Who do they call out to? The prophet Isaiah. How about that? Son of Amaz. So they call out and say, hey, we're going to the temple, and now we're going to call, we need to call for Isaiah, the prophet in the land. We'll come back to these in just a minute. Now, no, verse 3. They told him. So Isaiah gets this word. This is what Hezekiah says. This day is a day of distress and rebuke and disgrace, as when children come to the point of birth and there's no strength to deliver them. It may be, notice he says, it may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the field commander whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to ridicule the living God, and that he will rebuke him for the words the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, pray for the remnant that still survives. Verse 5, then King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah. Isaiah says to them. So now Isaiah is giving a word back to Hezekiah. So the prophet gets to stay old. This is what's going on in the land. And here's Isaiah's response. Notice a little different perspective. I want you to see how Isaiah has reframed the 500-pound lions that they're all staring at. Tell your master, this is what the Lord says. Underline the do nots in this one. Do not be afraid of what you have heard. Those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Well, Isaiah's got a little different perspective on Sennacherib than Sennacherib has on himself. Sennacherib's saying he's the great king of all the earth. Isaiah calls him an underling. Underling is like hired hand, like servant. Think there's going to be a collision here? How do you think this is going to go over with Sennacherib, by the way? Picture that, huh? Listen, I'm going to put a spirit in him, in Sennacherib, so that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. So Isaiah's like, hey, Hezekiah, relax, take a deep breath. This guy's an underling. We serve the great king, capital K, the great Lord, capital L. Don't let this, you know, flapping of his jaws. Sennacherib, he's just blowing a lot of hot air. And as a Kai's person, they're going, well, yeah, all those other nations seem to, he wiped all of them out. What's going to save us? And hey, here's what, God's got this. God has this under control. And so now Hezekiah, so here's what happens, though. So Sennacherib gets word on that, sends another message back, stirs up more fear, 
strikes more like trying to stir up the nation even more. He's really upset now. Hezekiah gets word back, Sennacherib's firing up more troops. It's going to be a bigger battle. He's going to send more. He's going to destroy more. Everything's just going the wrong way. What's Hezekiah do? Verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers, that's from Sennacherib and his group, and read it. After he read it, here's what he did. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. This is what he did. He spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Listen to his prayer. Oh, Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. Verse 18, it is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to all these peoples in their lands. They've thrown their gods, little g, notice that, into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Verse 20, now, O Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms on earth may know you alone, O Lord, our God. How about that prayer? So here's what I'm going to look at here. I want us to trace three steps. Hezekiah's footprints are amazing footprints to follow when we find ourselves standing in the middle of a situation where, hey, we've stepped out and we've stepped towards God's purposes. We're not running from it in fear. We've decided to display courage and move toward it. And we find one 500-pound lion multiplied into a pack of Assyrian lions. You say, what are you doing with that, Lord? And there's this reframing. God's often more interested in reframing our 500-pound lions than he is in immediately removing them. And let's talk about that. So the first thing Hezekiah does to see this thing reframed, did you notice the first thing he does? He goes to the temple. So here's the first footprint. He goes to the temple, and here's what he does at the temple. He realizes this really isn't an Assyria issue. This is a God issue. Do you see this? So here, here's Hezekiah, and he gets all this news. Do you see all the momentum as king at that point would be what? Call the military leaders together. Get the cabinet together. Get the strategists together. Get all those people together. We've got to put our heads together. We've got to come up with a defense strategy against this impending doom that's marching toward us. That would have been all the momentum going. And Hezekiah, first thing he does, he gathers everyone and he moves to the temple, puts on sackcloth, calls out to the Lord. And in that, do you see this? Hezekiah says, hey, you know what? At the core of this really isn't an Assyria issue, as loud as Assyria is. It's really a God issue. Which reminded me of Oswald Chambers. Listen to what Oswald said. It's, it's not easy to find your way to God in a sudden crisis unless you've been in the habit of going to God about everything. See, I think something inside of Hezekiah here, this is why God was so honored with his leadership, that Hezekiah had cultivated the kind of life that went to God about everything. So when he was faced with a pack of 500-pound lions coming at him, he just did what Hezekiah normally does. I think Hezekiah went to the temple about everything. I think he was always going to the temple. I think he was always calling out to God. So he's like, hey, this looks overwhelming. It looks insurmountable. It's my biggest problem. It's my source of deepest pain. It's an arrow pointing to God's purposes. I'm supposed to lead this nation. And now I seem to have just multiplied numbers of lions coming at me. What am I going to do? I'm going to go to the temple. 
And I'm going to recognize at the core of this issue, it's really a God issue. So practically in our lives, could it be, I wrote a note to myself at this point, said, hey, Lord, could the 500-pound lions that I'm staring at, could they be an invitation from you to spend some time in the prayer room? Like, is that, is that like the practical? Could the 500-pound lions you're staring at, could it be an invitation from God to pull you into his temple? Which practically would be like, maybe you haven't been super connected on a regular basis to a local church family, and you find yourself today staring at a pack of 500-pound lions. Could it be that God's saying, hey, you need to move toward a covenant community and say, you know what, I'm going to connect myself to a local church. I'm going to go to the temple I'm going to gather on Sundays. I'm going to worship. I'm going to be in an environment like this. I'm going to schedule time in our prayer room. I'm going to recognize that the 500-pound lions I'm looking at are at their core a God issue. No matter how big and intimidating Assyria can become, our physical realities can get so big and so overwhelming, it just dominates the landscape and it shrinks the spiritual realities. When we gather like this and we sing songs and we open God's word, what happens is everything gets shifted around and put in its proper perspective. And you go, oh, that's right. God, capital G. God, King, capital K. Lord, capital L. He sits enthroned over all this. That reality needs to reframe my physical reality. And the bigger he gets, the more appropriately sized everything else gets. Because notice here, Hezekiah's external circumstances aren't changing. The king continues to flap his jaws. The army gets closer and closer. Destruction is on the horizon. It's not like immediately goes in the temple and then God just wipes them all out. That's not it. We'll get to that part of the story in a minute. But Notice what happens is the circumstances stayed largely the same. It's Hezekiah's perspective on current reality. So we're praying often, Lord, change current reality. And that's what we can do. We call out from our hearts in that way. Just know God often goes, hey, you know what, Simpson? Instead of changing current reality for you, I'm going to reframe current reality. Your 500-pound lion's going to stay there. It's maybe going to grow, but it's going to get reframed under this. And how about as a nation right now? We got a bunch of 500-pound lions we're staring at as a nation? I mean, just this past week, right, we got headlines filled with suicide rate up and to the right. A couple of weeks ago, right, it was 23 school shootings in the first 21 weeks. Another headline scroll across is our drug abuse epidemic, right, it's just out of control. And you just go on and on and on. You go, as a nation, could it be, gang, could it be that God is deploying boatloads of 500-pound lions to the core of our country as an invitation to call out to Him? Could it be? Could it be the God of Hezekiah? It's an invitation from him. The, the circumstances are so large, so overwhelming, so insurmountable, and that's the point, right? Hey, our country right now, at the core of our country, the crisis is a God issue. It's not an Assyria issue. It's a God issue. And when we get centered on that, we'll begin to move towards what Hezekiah experiences, which is breakthrough. So this is our role as a body of Christ. Gang, we got to move out into the brokenness of our world and bring forth the ultimate solution to the brokenness and darkness, and it is Jesus. It's God's name. It's a name that's above every name. The crisis at the center, it's a Jesus issue. It's a God issue. And once we get that set, the physical realities will get reshaped. They may not get immediately removed, but they will get reframed. 
I suspect if Hezekiah were alive today and standing before our nation today, I suspect he would say some of those things to us as a people, saying, hey, U.S., I've been here before. By the way, your lines weren't nearly as big as mine, but let me just say, here's what I learned from dealing with our 500-pound lions. It is at its core a God issue. Get yourself centered. Put on sackcloth. Get in the temple. Call out to God. Fast. Pray. Spiritual awakening and revival is the ultimate answer that we're needing in this land. And I think it's our role to hold that fort as the body of Christ. We are the instruments to bring that message to this country. Even if leaders are not leading and ruling in that way, we don't abandon the call. We stay faithful, and our lives need to reflect that. My life needs to reflect that. Ultimately, I believe it's the God issue. So there's the first thing he did is he goes to the temple. What's the next thing he did? He called out to Isaiah. So here it's the role, right? So the temple reminds us that the God issue, not an Assyria issue, calling out for Isaiah reminds us what? That there's a role that sacred companions have to give us the gift of perspective. Some of you are encountering your 500-pound lion or lions, and right now, practically, what you need to do is reach out to an Isaiah. Everybody needs Isaiahs in their lives. Isaiah is this, someone who knows you well and who knows God well. That's an Isaiah. It's a sacred companion. We all need them. That's what the church is about. We want to be a community of sacred companions together, spiritual friendships, friendships that are led by the Holy Spirit. Do you have an Isaiah in your life that when you're jumping in a pit with a lion on a snowy day can help give you perspective on what you're staring at? You need to send that text. You need to schedule that coffee. You need to extend your hand. You say, you know what? I need to talk about this. This is not a time to go it alone and pull to isolation. It is not that. But that's what Sennacherib's going to try to sell you. The enemy's going to try to sell you, go it alone, withdraw. No one can understand. No one cares. How many times we bought into that, right? No one could possibly understand what I'm going. That's a lie. And you move out of that by reaching out and saying, hey, can I talk to you about my 500-pound lion? Because Isaiah's bring perspective to our current realities. It's the role of sacred companions to help reframe the reality. At the end of that coffee chat, your lion isn't most likely gone. Your lion is just more right-sized and reframed. And it's the role of friendship. That's what happened with Isaiah. How, how grateful do you think Hezekiah was to get that letter from Isaiah? It had to feel quite lonely in Hezekiah's seat as a leader right now. I'm sure he felt a lot of pressure from his military leaders to say, hey, we got to get the generals together. And Hezekiah's like, no, we need the prayer warriors in the temple. And they're looking at him like, what? Like, we, these probably are people who are trying to oust him from leadership. Like, hey, go get the general. We've got to get the four-star general to lead this thing. Hey, go to the temple. It's a God issue, not a serious Hey, call for Isaiah. Isaiah will help. Isaiah sends words like, hey, Hezekiah, you're right on. God's got this. He had to be so refreshed by getting this letter, right? It's like, okay, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm in the prayer room. I know Sennacherib and Assyria is coming, but God's going to get the last word. Something had to infuse him. And that's the role of sacred companions. And we all need that. So this is why our discipleship classes are important around here. It's why life groups are important. This is why membership in church is important because we've got to break out of the pole to isolation and we've got to move towards a connectedness to community. Because when you're staring at your 500-pound lion, you're going to need some Isaiahs. 
So perhaps this week, that's your practical step. You know what? Your practical step out of this message is send that text message to that Isaiah and open up the journey to them. And watch what God does. Thirdly and lastly, what what does Hezekiah do? He calls out to God in prayer, right? He goes into the temple. He lays out the letter. Isn't that a beautiful image? He spreads out Sennacherib's mouth before the Lord, basically. He's like, all this jabber from Sennacherib. I'm spreading it out. And I'm calling out to God in prayer. So he goes to the temple, which reframes the issue. Hey, it's a God issue. He calls out to Isaiah, and then he calls out in prayer. And I put beside that that he recognizes in this step that God plus anybody is a majority. It's like, hey, I know we're outnumbered. I know he's bigger, stronger, faster, perhaps more military smarts than we have. We're outnumbered, outgunned, out everything, but here's the one thing. Here's the checkmate card I've got. Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, the God of angel armies is on my side. God plus anybody is a majority, and if God is with you, who can stand against you? And we know this about God. Have you noticed this with God, your relationship with Him? He likes to lead us into this like Isaiah 36, 37 type experiences in life. It's really frustrating at times, but he does this a lot. And the sooner we can kind of just settle into this reality with him, that he loves impossible odds, he loves to put us in situations that are filled with uncertainty, he loves to thrust us into stuff that you can't see how you're possibly going to get through what you're going through, the sooner that we can just kind of embrace and get comfortable with the way God leads us in that, the better this relationship's going to go. And in that, here's what he said, he could be calling us to the temple, calling us to Isaiah's, calling us out in prayer. And I put in my notes that it was a friend of God that reminded him of the character of God and gave him the perspective of God from which he dropped to his knees and got his reality reframed by God. I'll say that again. Do you see the, did you follow the sequence? So it was a friend of God that gave him the, remind him of the character of God, that remind him of the perspective of God, that called him to his knees, and in that time of prayer, reframed his current reality. And I think that's our journey. Many of you walk in here off of last week's discussion, and you maybe took a step toward your 500-pound line, and it was maybe one of the most overwhelming and discouraging weeks you've had in dealing with it. And now you're in his temple Praise God for that. One of your action items might be keep coming back to the temple of the Lord. Keep trusting Him. Keep being an environment of worship. Keep sitting underneath His Word. Keep coming towards Him with all your uncertainty and all your unknowns and all your overwhelming lions. You keep moving towards Him and then reach out to someone around you. Reach out to the Isaiah and then don't forget the God of angel armies, He's going to get the last word. He is going to get the last word. It may not pretty sure it's not going to be on our timetable. That's the other super frustrating thing in a relationship with God at times, right? He's always on a different timetable, and my experience is much slower than I prefer. That's just me, maybe. But I just, he's on, he's going to come through, he's going to deliver, it's going to get way more uncomfortable than I like, and it's going to be quite a bit longer than I like. Sorry, but you're glad I came to church to hear that, aren't you? That's just how this works. I mean, he could have taken care of it right at the beginning of chapter 36, but he lets, I, he lets Hezekiah go through this whole journey and all the prayer time and the sackcloth and the heartache and the calling out and the wondering and the uncertainty. He moves them all into that. Notice what John Shea says here. I put this quote in your notes. Trust in God does not presume that God will intervene. Often trust begins, listen to this statement, on the far side of despair. When all human resources are exhausted, 
when the craving for reassurances is stifled, when we forego control. And maybe that's where some of you come in this morning. You come in on the far side of despair and you listen to a story like Hezekiah and you hear that call from the Lord, hey, trust in the Lord. Do you know you can begin your trust in the Lord all the way on the far side of despair? It's okay. He can help take you from there and help move you to the place where, how about we'll see what Hezekiah sees now. End of chapter 37. So I don't leave you hanging. What happened? Sennacherib marches, gets more troops, bigger, stronger, gets louder. Probably the anxiety factor inside Hezekiah's camp grows as well. Probably more prayer meetings, more worship services, lots of tension inside. What is God going to do? Verse 36, chapter 37. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and stayed there. I imagine so. By the way, same Nineveh that Jonah goes to and proclaims the message, you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. Same group. You see, God gets the last word, gang. And our biggest problems and our deepest pain are an arrow pointing to God's larger purposes. And that arrow might be pointing you to not just one 500-pound lion, but an overwhelming number of those. And if that's the case, we then join from Benaiah, jump in the pit, move toward it in courage. We join Hezekiah. We go to the temple. We reach out to Isaiah's, and we drop to our knees in prayer, and we recognize, hey, at the core of this thing, this is not an Assyria issue. This is a God issue. Sacred companions are key, and I got to recognize this. The God of angel armies is on my side, and he will get the last word, and with the last word, redemption will win. Can you imagine the prayer meeting that happened after that scene? I don't think Hezekiah had a problem calling people to worship the next day. I don't think when he called a prayer meeting, he just had one or two people showing up. I think the military leaders of all probably set down their one weapons and picked up their sackcloth and their prayer shawls and said, hey, here's how we know this, right? God plus anybody's a majority, and if the Lord is with us, who can stand against us? And gang, that's what we got to hold on to. No matter how big that lion, no matter how insurmountable that problem, God is with you. And he will help you and he will strengthen you and he will come through for you, most likely not on our timetable and most likely much longer than we prefer, but he will come through. And when he does, it can be an Isaiah 37 moment because he loves impossible odds. He likes to stack the deck in such a way that at the end of this story, everyone sits around and goes, only Yahweh, only the God of all the earth, only, the, only King Jesus, only he could do that. And that, my friends, is the point. Let's pray. Jesus, it is an amazing story. Thank you for preserving these from Benaiah to Hezekiah. There's so many battles we're facing right here. So many lions right now in this room that seem Sennacherib in size, overwhelming, Assyria-like. Would you reframe them 
Lord, it seems that often your call is instead of changing the immediate circumstances, it's reframing our current reality. So right now in Jesus' name, would you just grow bigger and bigger in our eyes, the God of Hezekiah, the God of Isaiah, the God of angel armies. Would you grow bigger and bigger in our eyes and reframe our current realities? Help us, O Lord, we pray. Come into that space. Send us forth this day with bold courage, believing and trusting that you will get the last word. In Jesus' holy name.